Let me tell you a story, The Transforming Power of Narrative Preaching and Teaching, by Richard Dirksen, read by the author. Stories connect with the tenacity of Velcro, or glue, something holding for decades while intermittently releasing memories that recalibrate personal values. The very first story was the one God told Adam as they were naming the animals. As with all best stories, its purpose was to reveal the character of God. How did all of this get here? Adam asked. Oh, I spoke it into existence, God answered. Really? How did you do that? asked Adam, as the two sat together near a herd of newly named giraffes. Well, God answered, in the beginning, (laughs) and you know the rest of the story. Storytelling begins with story catching, and that begins with liking people enough to listen, to listen to their hearts, their hopes, their pains, their needs, their anger their tears of hurt and tears of joy. Unless you listen, your sermonic stories will not fit and will not make your people whole. On the other hand, if you listen, you will detect when broken hearts need to be hugged and when angry thoughts need to be calmed. As you listen, new stories will rise in your heart, narratives that reflect the lives your members are living, Tales begging to be told in ways that will bring the congregation family together toward God. Stories that will bring people to believe that Scripture speaks today just as it did way back then. As you listen, your sermons will become transformational. A weekly shared experience that answers questions they have been struggling with at the breakfast table, in the boardroom, at the office and in the chairs of the beauty salon. People talk, you know. They tell each other about their lives, usually stories that leave God out. Your ministry, your sermons can change that. They can make God so real and personable that he will become the stuff of their stories. As business storytellers Ryan Matthews and Watts Welker say, Long before the first formal business was established, before the first deal, the six most powerful words in any language were, let me tell you a story. Narrative preaching does not ignore God, truth, doctrines, or biblical expositions. It builds on all those, weaving them together with stories that make the stuff of God meaningful in the world where we live. Stories illustrate the precepts of truth covering them with skin, giving them the breath of life. Continually be asking your Lord to reveal to you what stories he wants told. Without a personal relationship between God and the preacher, sermonic words rattle like tumbleweeds across the dust of dry souls. Homiletics, homily, is about conversation and the enchantment of relationships. I used to ask, what shall I preach? Or how shall I preach it? Then a professor told me I was preaching only for myself, not for the people. Now I ask, how does this audience listen? What would they love to hear? Biblical truth, you see, is timeless. 
But the way each generation hears and appropriates truth, well, it's quite different. Asking how my congregation listens forces me to notice how they live. They look at their phones. They take a thousand pictures. They watch videos and movies on multiple platforms. They leave the television on during meals. Often four or five devices are playing at the same time. And all of them are image and story-based rather than fact-based. My friend, Pastor Morris Venden, once told me that the success of a sermon is in the pictures you leave in the minds of the listeners. They'll forget your words, but will remember the stories. In the olden days, whenever those were, people seemed satisfied with three points in a poem. Listening doesn't work that way anymore. What if, I thought to myself, I chose to preach in ways that matched how people listen? After trying this for four decades of preaching, I've settled on five reasons that narrative preaching is a really good idea. Reason number one, from complex to simple. Narrative takes massively complex information and makes it simple, understandable, and actionable. If my church family is struggling with how to respond to violence, distrust, and exploitation in the community, I go back to 2 Kings 5 and the story of Abigail, the Israelite girl who chose to stand for God in the house of General Naaman. She stood firm as God's girl. And before the story is over, her choice heals a rift between nations. A simple story like this provides an opening for a conversation about how we can be God's kids in our own community. There's a second reason, from informational to life-changing. Narrative preaching slips into hearts and minds, giving God better access to the soul. You don't know me, hundreds of people have told me, but when I was a teenager, you spoke at my school and you told a story about Elijah running from Jezebel. That story changed my life and gave me a new way of seeing God. I think about it every time I'm in a tough place. Hey, I could have preached a three-point sermon about why it's foolish to run from troubles. I could have shared 12 texts that prove God never leaves us, even when we leave Him. I could have done many fact-driven things. Instead, I chose to simply tell the story of a loving God who ran with a foolish prophet all the way to heaven. As Calvin Miller says, most people hear stories better than they hear megabytes of truth framed in point-driven logic. Third reason, from age-specific to age-neutral. Next time you preach, watch to see whether the kids are listening. I have discovered a fascinating truth about preaching. When I tell stories, everyone listens. Age is not an issue, except for the really old folks who honestly need a nap every morning. A good story, well told, captures the minds and hearts regardless of age. If I have listened well, the story I tell my congregation will help clarify challenges that health professionals are facing. They'll be meaningful for teenagers who are falling in love. It will be helpful for mothers who are nursing babies. 
may even reach the audiovisual operators who are trying not to listen while they work. But remember, narrative preaching is not just telling a story. It's connecting people with God. Preacher Harry Emerson Fostick, way back in 1956, said it well. A good sermon is an engineering operation by which a chasm is bridged so that spiritual goods on one side are actually transported into personal lives upon the other. It need never fail to make a transforming difference in some lives. Fourth reason that narrative preaching is a really good idea. From head to heart. Any presentation designed to affect life change requires access to both minds and hearts. You cannot win one without the other. Preacher Paul understood this well, and after describing Jesus as the Creator, Savior, and coming King in the first two chapters of Colossians, he puts it all together in chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. A well-told story? Ah, it convicts the mind of truth, while also romancing the heart with hope. Here's another way to explain what happens with narrative preaching. For right-brained people, the emotions of an interesting story allow the truth to slip in and capture both mind and heart. Left-brained people, on the other hand, focus on the truth and suddenly find that their heart has come along. It takes both to affect life change. You cannot win one without the other. Fifth reason that narrative preaching is a really good idea. From speaking to, to conversing with. Here's how that works. A well-told story results in interactive listening. And when we're all in the story together, the result is understanding and impact. Narratives demand response. Good stories bring me in until I'm part of the plot. Emotionally involved in the tension, the brokenness, the challenges, the opportunities, and finally, the resolution. A narrative sermon makes listeners ask questions, seek more information, jump ahead, and become part of the story as you tell it. What the best storytelling does is establish a three-way connection among the audience, the storyteller, and the characters in the story. A story well shared creates something new from genuine experience. It's one of the most powerful forms of bonding in existence. One of my favorite stories comes from a young man and woman who told me they were testing God on the issue of tithing. Still living in a motorcycle and drugs lifestyle, they gave God 10% of their welfare check for three weeks. But God didn't give them any of his Malachi 3 blessings. So they chose to pay tithe on the man's side business. It wasn't much, but that week the business doubled. The next week it doubled again. Are you with me? Isn't it fun to see how this story sucks you in? 
You're thinking about how you ought to be tithing, but right now you're wondering, how is the couple dealing with all these increases? About 10 weeks of the business doubling continually, and the couple called to ask to speak with the pastor. Pastor, they began, you've probably noticed the large tithe we've been giving. I have, he answered. Well, we've been testing God to see if your sermon about tithing was true, and we've learned that when you give God 10% of everything, he really comes through. We now have one of the largest marijuana businesses in this county. (laughs) It's a great story. And when I get to the marijuana line, everyone is fully committed. Then we can have a fully interactive conversation about tithing and why God might bless even a marijuana business. No, God does not encourage or aid drug use, but he's amazingly skilled in reaching people where they really are. So what stories should you tell? We've talked a little bit about why narrative sermons are a good idea. So let's look at the kinds of stories you can use. Though these provide a useful set of categories, please remember that every great sermon is a gallery in which there hangs one single portrait, Jesus Christ. One of my favorite authors, Ken Geyer, provides an overview of the relationship between God and his followers, one that pastors would do well to remember every time they sit down to write a sermon and every time they stand in the pulpit to deliver one. Here's what Ken says. The Christian life is about us following Christ's lead, not about him following ours. He doesn't ask us to write the notes to the music or choreograph the steps to the dance. He merely asks us to take his hand and follow him. Jesus, the greatest storyteller of all time, had a unique approach to communicating through narrative. He told stories so people would not understand the message he was sending. Check that out in Luke chapter 8, verse 10. And then, around the campfires that evening, he would explain the stories to his closest followers so that they would be able to explain the message to the people and to us. He knew that if he came right out and spoke the truth, the facts of the message clearly, his ministry would end before it was finished so that the message would sink in slowly and stick in the minds of his listeners, Jesus used stories, parables, narratives that told the truth more effectively than if he gave three points and was possibly stoned. You see, Jesus did not just tell parables. He retold stories from the Torah referred to news reports from the contemporary press, talked about how a nearby farmer was planting his field, and illustrated the largesse of faith with a diminutive mustard seed. Leadership guru Stephen Denning provides a handy menu of several different kinds of stories leaders can utilize. I've adapted those a bit to seven points that should be in your sermonic cookbook. So here they are. Seven story styles for effective preaching. Number one, stories that bring life change. Life change stories usually come from a recent or relevant event and include a hero with whom listeners can identify. They have a genuine happy ending, 
with successfully implemented change. Now, a life change narrative provides a model that can be followed. And to understand this, let me give you an illustration. And to find this illustration, you need to go to, go to the ministrymagazine.org website and read the story of the red fire truck. I'll just leave you with that. But it's a great illustration of a story that brings life change. Second style, stories who tell who we are. This is where a good personal testimony fits well. These are the kinds of stories that provide honest, real-life pictures with humor and pain. They also include personal learning and behavior change. The illustrated story here, again at ministrymagazine.org stories, you'll find one called The Spanish Prayer. It's a horrible personal illustration from my own life that includes both humor and pain, but it does tell who I am. You'll find that valuable. A third approach is stories that explain the church. These include wonderful tales of early church pioneers, missionaries, stories of how your congregation has grown. Knowing our history helps us move with God toward a better future. Illustrated story here again, you can find it on the website, ministrymagazine.org stories. Look for Pastor Anderson's Oranges, a great story from what is now the country of Zambia. Fourth style, there's seven of these, remember. Stories that transmit values. Value-driven stories help everyone understand how Christians live. They teach why we care about poor people, why we care about racial equality, and why we worry about supporting children. This type of story demonstrates how our commitment to honesty, kindness, compassion, humility, and love show up in how we treat people every single day. Many well-known value-driven stories, like the Good Samaritan, come from Scripture. But everyday life in your community is also a rich source for commonplace illustrations. The story for you here on the website is called When Chiquita Cleans a Patient's Room. <laughs> You're going to love Chiquita. All right, the fifth one. Stories get us to work together. Living as a church family amid a secular community is a constant battle between good and evil. Unfortunately, this battle often brings discord between the church and the world, between family members, some who prefer long prayers, and others who prefer brief petitions. Sometimes the argument is simply between we must have a potluck or we must never have a potluck, or the carpet ought to be green instead of the threadbare orange that someone installed in 1962. There are always causes for division in your church. But carefully chosen stories can change the narrative and help bring unity, especially if the story includes enough humor to help us see how crazy the battle had become. Choose stories that rehearse the values of collaboration. That will make a difference. People love learning to work together. Especially, choose stories that begin a time of family storytelling, an open time, when the stories of the church begin to flow freely and laughter loosens hearts. Now, 
I've put a story on the website that you will never forget. It's called Timmy and the Cement Truck. Ministrymagazine.org slash stories. It's an illustration of stories that get us to work together. Number six, and remember there's seven, stories that share truth. Different kinds of stories you can use in your ministry. Stories that share truth. You ready? God loves you even when you're bad. Now, this is a true statement, a believable one. However, it becomes a living truth when you retell the story of the prodigal son or when you share the tale of King David and Bathsheba's baby. Stories put skin on doctrines. There's a crucial eternity moment in chapter 3 of John. It's night. Jesus is caught in an intense conversation with an inquisitor from the Sanhedrin. The conversation has swerved into a discussion of water, baptism, new birth, and wind. But Nicodemus, the inquisitor who has come to check out this new Messiah, stops the master in mid-sentence to ask a question that isn't even on his interview sheet. Why are you here, Jesus? Nick, Jesus replies, smiling and placing his hand on the Pharisee's shoulder. One day my father and I were looking at the earth and we noticed you right here in Jerusalem. Dad pointed you out and said, son, I really love that fellow. And then he turned to me and said, would you be willing to go down to the earth, find Nicodemus, show him how much we love him so that he will fall in love with us? It would be so good to have him here living with us rather than lost there on earth. There was a moment of silence broken by a weak voice asking, For me? Yes, Nick, for you. And for whosoever else would like to come along. The seventh kind of story that I'd encourage you to use in your ministry is a story that leads people toward the future. My grandfather had a dream in 1967 Grandma had recently died, and Grandpa desperately wanted to die, too. Being alone is a bad deal, he whispered. But in the dream, Grandpa was standing at the edge of a wide, rapidly flowing river. Water was muddy, swirling dangerously over an uneven bottom. On the other side, he could see fields of tall corn, each stalk heavy with way too many ears. Birds were singing, horses were neighing happily, families were laughing and playing games on thick green grass. Everything had the aura of heaven. An angel walked up beside Grandpa, saw the tears of desire on his cheeks, and asked whether or not he'd like to go across to the other side. Oh, yes, please, right now, Grandpa said. The water is deep and dangerous, the angel warned. Here, take hold of this rope, and all will be well with your crossing. Grandpa grasped the rope and followed it, stepping down into the water. The water was rough and deep, far deeper and swifter than he had expected. He held on tightly and at times felt the rope was actually pulling him along. After what seemed like a complete lifetime, 
his feet touched the hard ground on the far bank. He leapt onto the shore, still clutching tightly to the rope that had been his salvation. And when he glanced down, he saw that the rope was only about a meter long, just long enough to reach from his hand into the water, just long enough for faith to do its work. Many in your family, your church family, are lonely, discouraged, angry, and hungry for something better in their lives. Your stories can help them see God's solutions as that something better. Your stories, modern and from Scripture, can flood their lives with the light of hope. Can you learn to tell great stories? <laughs> yes. But here's some pointers. Teaching people how to write stories, the author and editor Arthur Gordon says, unless the listener has a built-in sense of the dramatic, a natural ear for words, an ability to think fairly clearly, the persistence of a horsefly, and the tenacity of a crocodile, you're probably wasting your time. Though I disagree with his conclusion, I must admit he has several good points, especially the one about the crocodile. Here's another pound of advice from that same author. There's no foolproof formula for short story writing. If you're ever seized with an urge to try this crazy business, there are a few things to remember. In most cases, now here this is crucial for you, listening as a pastor and preparing to use stories this weekend in your sermon. A story needs, write it down, an appealing central character for the reader to focus on and identify with. This character should come into the story at point A with some kind of a bad thing going on, a minus, a problem, a fear, a threat, a danger, a broken relationship. And then that character should leave at point Z with a new plus, something really positive, a problem solved, a danger evaded, or objective gained, a relationship healed. In between point A and point Z, there should be increasing complication, mounting suspense, and finally, a logical and believable point of resolution where everything gets straightened out. Unless they're straightened out, the reader is going to feel dissatisfied, even cheated. A few more quick pointers. When you're telling stories, use simple words. They're best, especially for beginning storytellers. Big, flowery language multiple adjectives, dusty descriptions, they're more of a hindrance than a help. Pretend that you're speaking to a 12-year-old. That will cut out all the words with more than three syllables. By the way, salvation still fits really well. And it will force you to use simple descriptions. Amazingly, when you focus on 12-year-olds, everybody listens. Secondly, pointer for you. Read voraciously. Read to see how others tell stories. Read to find words you have never used in your life. Read good Samaritan stories, political stories, the biographies of great people. Read what your people are reading so your stories will help them fill in the puzzles of their lives. Three, watch moving pictures. Sign up with a Christian video service like igniter.com 
These people are expert storytellers. Watch news highlights, National Geographic specials about God, and videos your members ask whether or not you've watched. Have they ever come to you and said, Did you see? Yeah, though the devil is using video to capture the minds and emotions of all of us, God is still a pretty amazing producer. He's put a lot of good things out there for you to enjoy and use to communicate his character with your members. Number four, use descriptive phrases. Begin carefully to use some of the purple phrases, I call them, that you discover in your reading and writing. These phrases are strings of pearls, storytellers use to brighten the pictures. They will clarify emotions, they'll bring listeners further into your story, and they will provide those moments that will stick the story close to each heart. Like, his face was lined with a thousand remembered smiles. <laughs> First heard that when the star of the story was walking, was actually riding a horse into a mountain town and saw the sheriff leaning back against the wall of the jail. And his face was lined with a thousand remembered smiles. How do you feel about that, Sheriff? Or here's another one. Her singing was so beautiful, it brought nightingales to their knees. Fifth good suggestion. Connect your stories with the known. Your story will gather the most believers if it's connecting listeners with an even greater story they already know. So where do you go to find good stories? Most Bible narratives provide you with the basics. A believable character, a minus. A lot of complexity, a plus. And a celebration. Think about Jonah and his fear of doing God's will. Or the widow of Zarephath whom God had prepared to care for Elijah. Or one of my favorites, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, whom Jesus healed on the Sabbath morning and then sent off carrying his bed right into a phalanx of law-enforcing Pharisees. <laughs> Telling Bible stories is almost too easy. Then there are the stories that you catch each week. Remember, Narrative sermons require good, constant listening. Listen as you live. Read the morning newspaper, in print or online. Share a Bible study and breakfast with three good friends every Thursday. Read Christian magazines, like Adventist World, and other kinds of publications, like National Geographic, and the multiple begging letters you receive from charities needing money. They are all treasures, treasures of good stories. Turn on the news on your car radio. Visit the community service workers at the food pantry. Get the idea? The best stories tend to jump out and grab you while you're doing God's work. In addition, bear the following in mind. Your family can be a source for sermon stories but only if used very, very carefully. Teenagers hate to become sermon illustrations. Don't ever forget that. Information from your counseling experience, that's also off limits. 
even if you disguise it well. Your story should never be told to make you yourself look good. Only God can be the hero. And then the last point, always give credit for your story. It's really uncomfortable. When you tell a story, do not give credit, and then discover that the original storyteller was in your congregation that day. How will you know if your narrative preaching is working? There's an old song that says it well. They'll know we are Christians by our love. If you first invest time listening to the voice of God and then demonstrate how much you love listening to your church family, God will guide you to speak stories that touch their needs and give them hope. That hope will come through as a joy, a deep energy that infuses your church with affirmation, inquiry, and rejoicing. You see, meaningful preaching is built upon a foundation of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those two, mixed together with equal parts determination and humility on your part, provide a sure voice for God's love to win even the best-armed heart. You will become known as one of God's troubadours, a village tale-teller, a voice in the shadows of the campfire, And that's a pretty good way to be remembered. As a storyteller, a good storyteller.